Thank you, Amy, and good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to this, our third service on this side of our ministry, our second uh, Spanish service is going on right now, and we are just delighted that you are here. I, I want to go back and um, r repeat something I began with last week as we started this short little three-week series, and that is eight, eight or nine years ago, we as leaders here at Wheaton Bible Church uh, were seeking God's face, seeking God's will about what he wanted us to focus on a as a ministry going forward. And in the middle of that process, it was an intense process, lots of conversations, lots of Bible study, lots of prayer. We believe that God showed up specifically in a tangible way way and gave us uh, this clear and compelling seven-word mission that you see on the screen behind me. As a matter of fact, that moment was so evident and so profound that here we are nine years later or so, and this mission has become central to all that we are here at Wheaton Bible Church. It's how we evaluate ministry. It's how we think about priorities. It's how we measure uh, success and on and on and on. Now this mission, these little seven words, are a combination of the Matthew 22 Great Commandment, the Matthew 28 Great Commission, arguably two of our Lord Jesus' most famous statements. Now there's a lot of conversation in evangelicalism today about what it means to be gospel-centered as opposed to moralism-centered. It's an important recovery, an important conversation. What we love about this statement is it is indicative of what a gospel-centered church looks like, what a gospel-centered church gives itself to. Now, as I have been saying over and over throughout the years, we don't merely go to church, we are the church. So wherever we are, whatever we are doing, we represent Jesus Christ, we're part of the church. The third church gathers like we are now, then we scatter throughout the week, lifting up Christ as, as we go. Now what that means when it comes to a, a mission like this is our mission uh, won't really be our mission unless it's the mission of each and every one of us. If we don't personalize it, if we don't understand the priority for me personally before God of living a life that loves him, that gives myself to growing together and reaching the world, or another way to say it is we live vertically, we love radically, and we lift up Christ boldly. If we don't personalize it, then all we've got are words on a screen. Little statements on cards. So what we're doing is we're taking three weeks right now as we prepare to move into the fall where everything ramps up, and wonderfully so, to talk about the three parts, the three legs of this mission. Last week I talked about loving God. Today we're going to talk about growing together, loving radically, uh, this whole biblical issue of community. This afternoon I hop on a plane, I head to Germany, and I will be speaking five times next week at Greater Europe Missions Annual Conference in Germany. So next Sunday... Hannibal Rodriguez from our Spanish-speaking side will come and speak on reaching the world. He'll do it in English. <laughs> now, as you know, Rhonda and I have lots of kids, seven of them. It's too many. But, th but that's what we have. Four of them are married. That makes 11. 
And we're to start to move into this uh, grandparenting phrase or phase, and we're off to a good start. We have four grandchildren already, and uh, our kids are just getting amped up, just getting excited uh, about that. So all that to say we have this crazy family, a blended family. Rhonda and I both lost both our previous spouses to cancer. And, and here we are, We've, uh, it'll be eight years of marriage and God has uh, continued to bless us. And one of the things we're especially thankful about is our kids who have been through a lot, they've all lost a parent, uh, are walking with the Lord. They love Jesus Christ. And one of the ways I want to set up where we're going, I guess the way I will set up where we're going this morning is kind of take you a little behind the scenes and I want to tell you about a statement I've made to our youngest, our son Ryan, who's going to be a junior in college. And I've made this statement in different ways over the years, but I keep coming back to it. And this is a little insight into what goes on between me and, and, and my son, and you'll see how incredibly theological I am. So are you ready? So here's what it is. I say, uh, Ryan, God loves you, but you're a dope. And God, in his grace, has given you other godly people to help you become less of a dope. So pursue them. Seek them. And when you find them, never, ever let them go. And that's what I want to say to you this morning. God loves you. If you have... Uh, come to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. You are a child of grace. You are a child of the king of kings. God loves you. But you're a dope. I'm a dope. We're, we're sinners. We're, we're broken, fallen people. We have this tendency to self-destruct and implode. And so what has God in his sovereignty done? Well, through the Spirit, in his grace, he has given us other godly people. The body of Christ. To help us to become all that he would have us to be. Amazing. So what I want to do is I want to uh, break this subject down into three parts. I want to make the biblical case for community. I want to cast a biblical vision. Wanna, uh, we need to recover that. Then I want to talk about a couple foundational commitments for community. And then I want to talk about the key to community. So the case, the commitments, and, and then the key. But I want to begin with the elephant in the room. The problem that we see, but we don't really see. What is that elephant? Well, the elephant is today, more than in any other day in the 2,000-year history of the church, we increasingly view Christian community as passé, as Christians. As Christians. Uh, uh, now, not theoretically, but, but functionally. Uh, we see this all the time here in the United States. So today in the West, uh, the United States, 
what, what's going on is uh, the value we place on individualism, and, and that's not all bad, has been taken to an extreme, to such an extreme that even secular sociologists like Robert Bella are telling us that communal, relational, group, even family ties are, are, are weaker than ever before. And nowhere, nowhere is that more visible than in the church because today the church has become increasingly optional. Well, if it's convenient. And even more telling is uh, the level of community and meaningful uh, relationships and, and depth in the church is at an all-time low. And so what has happened is our faith has morphed from a, a, a biblical Jesus and the church to an unbiblical Jesus and me. Individualism on steroids. And this is why, frankly, this biblical vision matters so much. Why the, uh, the case for community is so important. We've, we have to recover it. And so to, what I want to do is I want to look at a couple passages, kind of take a quick survey, and I want to begin all the way back at the beginning in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2. God is speaking to Adam. What does he say? He says, it is not good, not good for man to be alone. And so he's about to create Eve and give Adam this incredible gift of marriage. But what I want you to understand is that God is not saying everyone has to be married in order to be happy and fulfilled. Paul wasn't married. Jesus lived a perfect life. He wasn't married. Rather, what this means is that even before sin entered the world, and sin doesn't enter the world until Genesis chapter 3, even before sin enters the world, God creates us as social beings with social and relational needs. We're hardwired for community. Now let's go on. Next passage, 10 chapters later, we come to Genesis chapter 12, the beginning of the creation of the nation of Israel, and instead of speaking to Adam, God is now speaking to Abraham, and look at what he says, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, I will make your name great, you will be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, God is telling Abraham he's going to create a community, a nation, through his loins. And that he intends this community, Israel, to be a blessing to the other communities, the other nations around the world. Now, that plan got derailed, but that was God's intent. So God's intent wasn't to create a collection of individuals each kind of doing their own thing. It's kind of like what you see when you go to an airport, people at an airport. Everybody's going in different directions. God's intent, rather, uh, was to create a community, one people with a shared identity, a shared God, a shared mission to bless the nations and shared traditions. So what I want you to understand is from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 12, our walk with God has been designed to be a community 
project. Now let's fast forward. Let's go to the New Testament where this has taken a dramatic step forward. God in the New Testament, following the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, and following the advent of Pentecost, creates a new covenant, a, a new community. Uh, the church is centered around Jesus and his death and his resurrection. And what astonishes us is when we look back into the Old Testament, we discover all, all along everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And in, in the New Testament, uh, around Jesus, God creates this community. This band, this bond of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so I want to look at two passages relative to this. Let's begin with this intense picture, Acts chapter 2. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I need to tell um, you, uh, just like I do whenever we look at the, this passage, relax, breathe. Uh, this is not saying to follow Christ you have to sell all your possessions. This passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's describing the intensity of relationships in the very first church, the church in Jerusalem. And the picture here is absolutely beautiful. Notice three times Luke, Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, tells us that the believers are together. They were together. Then they meet together. Then they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. God never intended for us to go solo. He has always intended for us to be together. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons for that, but, but one of the reasons is, you know what, we're, and let me just personalize, I'm a dope. I need the body of Christ, and so do you. What that means is this uh, current uh, uh, Jesus is me, religion of contemporary Christianity is not the biblical vision. It's why, the, by the way, why there's so many one another passages in the Bible. Love one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, uh, uh, forgive one another. But let me show you one more passage. And some years go by, and now we come to the Apostle Paul and uh, this um, uh, uh, central passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul illustrates um, the body of Christ by using the human body. Look at what he says. Let's get this passage up here. Paul says, just as a body, now here he's talking about your body, my body, our physical bodies, though one has many parts, and all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ, the body of Christ. We're all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. We're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. Now, if the ear is having a bad day, 
and the ears should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he, in his sovereignty, uh, wanted them to be. Now, we come to Christ individually. When we place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, that, by the way, from a historical perspective, was the great gift, the great recovery of the Protestant Reformation. The recovery of the, the biblical teaching that um, we aren't saved by joining a church. We are saved when we trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as our Lord and Savior individually. But the New Testament, in addition to teaching that, also teaches us that the only way we grow is we grow together. The way we grow in Christ is not individually, but as a part of the body. So what is Paul saying here? Well, Paul says here, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body. And we all have different gifts, we all have different assignments, different roles, but we're all equally important and necessary because the body cannot function correctly without us. Now that's the biblical vision in four passages, Genesis 2, Genesis 12, Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 12. Now what that means when it comes to our seven-word mission is that we will neither love God on the front end or reach the world on the back end unless we grow together. They are three links in an inseparable chain. Now, a couple of uh, Sundays ago, you heard Lon Allison read our uh, statement on the Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage. And then the very next day, you saw Wheaton Bible Church on the front page of the New York Times and, and that article on it. And by the way, I will never forgive Lon for the publicity he got on that. I go out of town, go on vacation. <laughs> he gets all the press. I wrote the statement. <laughs> front page New York Times, Lon Allison, head pastor of Wheaton Bible Church. You know, you go on vacation, you find out in the New York Times you lose your job. It's a bad deal. <laughs> a really bad deal. Now, I say this because I want you to know our biggest problem isn't the Supreme Court decision. A far deeper problem is that we are being weakened from within. Uh, from within. Because in our expressive individualism, as Bella calls it, or our commitment to sovereign self, as others call it, or our narcissism, which is a more popular descriptor of it. We have lost sight in evangelicalism in North America of the biblical vision of community, the body of Christ that we see described in Acts 2 and Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. And here's why this matters. It matters because according to the word of God, the church is the hope of the world. And there is nothing, there is nothing that Satan would rather do than weaken the church from the inside. 
And so that's why it takes a time uh, to belabor this biblical case because we have to recover now a biblical vision. And it's also why these commitments, and here I'm transitioning to the second session, why these uh, commitments are are foundational to community, and I want to give you uh, four of them. And so I want you to turn to our primary passage this morning, and that's near the end of the New Testament. It's Hebrews chapter 10. So grab a Bible or turn in your Bibles or turn your Bibles on uh, to Hebrews chapter 10. If you need a Bible, they're in front of you. It's page 1,191. And we're going to read beginning in verse 19. The author of Hebrews, we don't know who the author of Hebrews was for sure. Begins and says, verse 19, therefore brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, now in my Bible I've got the word confidence circled. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance. Now, if you underline or circle, circle the word assurance, assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, a, a metaphor for our salvation being born by the water of the word. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Now circle that word, hope. We profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, all the more as you see culture slipping away. Now, there are two parts to this paragraph. One paragraph, two parts. The first part is found in the first five verses, beginning in verse 19 through verse 23. And what we have is one of the New Testament's most beautiful description of what Jesus Christ has done for the believer. Full of Old Testament imagery. But but what our, our salvation is, what our identity in Christ now is, And therefore, the confidence, verse 19, the assurance, verse 22, and the hope, verse 23, that we believers enjoy because of God's rescuing grace in Jesus Christ. Amazing verses. But then in the second part, the end of this paragraph, beginning in verse 24 through verse 25, suddenly the author shifts and moves from our relationship with God to our relationship with others. Why? Why the shift? Well, the answer is the only way we can continually live out our identity in Christ the only way we can sustain lives of, a, 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 of confidence and insurance, assurance and, and hope is by being deeply immersed in the body of Christ. Now I want you to listen to how Paul Tripp describes this in his marvelous little book, um, Broken Down House. He writes, there is only one way you and I will ever hold on to the two identities child of grace and sinner, 
that propel a godly life in this fallen, idolatrous world. It can only happen when we are living in functional biblical community with people who will again and again remind us of who we are. I need people in my life who will lovingly hold the mirror of the word of God in front of me so I can see how deep my struggle with sin still is. I need people who will confront my timidity, my fears, my avoidance, with the comforting, encouraging, emboldening realities of faith. I'm a child of God. I was not wired to walk this walk of faith by myself. I was not created and then recreated in Christ to live on my own. I must admit to my constant tendency to minimize both the grace I have been given and the sin which is the reason I need that grace so desperately. I must face the fact that many times I simply forget who I am. We suffer from identity amnesia. Amnesia. Now, if you understand this, and that is if you understand in this one paragraph the linkage between these two sections and the connection, then what happens when we get to the end and the last two verses, then you will make the four commitments described in verses 24 and 25. Commitment number one, you will be highly intentional about relationships within the body of Christ. You will build them into your life. You will calendar them. You will think deeply about them. You will be a student, a, a lifelong learner of relationships, the variety of different relationships you have. And what the Bible has to say and what Jesus is calling you to, verse 24 says it all in this one word, consider. You will study, you will think, you will consider. And you are fully aware of the battle. Uh, on the one hand, your battle with busyness in your own life. A work, family, all that, that's coming at you. Uh, you want, uh, life is a battle. Busyness is a battle. And then we have this exaltation of uh, the seemingly problem-free, narcissistic, self-absorbed life of the person apart from Christ. And, and the seeming attractiveness of that. And you will have to battle that. And then you will have to battle the, uh, the reality that, that sometimes relationships in the body of Christ are just flat messy, problematic, and difficult. And you will understand that in all of those areas there will be this pull toward isolation. But you have been born again. You have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have been given the greatest the, the most intimate, the most nurturing relationship in the universe, a, a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has sacrificed everything to become your friend. Your friend. And so you never stop looking for, you never stop praying about, you, you never stop pursuing, you never stop engaging in meaningful co uh, co community, a, a band of brothers and sisters. 
because you know that you can't live without it. Consider on the front end of verse 24 means you're intentional. It means you prioritize community. That's the first commitment. The second commitment emerges from the second half of the verse. And it has to do with purpose, the fact that you're clear on your purpose. What is your purpose? You see yourself as an agent of redemption. You are redemptive. I, I love the language her, here. You spur one another. You spur people on to love and good deeds. Now, a couple of months ago, we took a survey here at Wheaton Bible Church. Uh, we had a good response. We got over 800 uh, 900 surveys back. And we won't, because we wanted to explore the important relationship of faith and work. How people who are followers of Christ view their uh, marketplace, uh, their jobs. And we ask a, a variety of questions. Uh, this is a, obviously an important area for uh, many of us because it's where we spend the bulk of our time each and every week of, uh, of our lives. And what we discovered is about half of our people do not view their work as ministry. And that's even more so with people under 40. So now, think about the second half of this verse. One of the great gifts we can give one another, one of the main ways we can spur one another on to, to love and good deeds is by continually reminding each other uh, that work, whatever it is from the marketplace to being a stay-at-home mom, is a sacred calling from God. Adam and Eve worked in the garden before the fall. And work is your moment in time ministry assignment, one of your ministry assignments uh, that God gives each of us so that we can honor him, so we can love the community, serve the community, and so we can redeem and restore what has been lost or stolen in the fall. The curse. We spur one another on. Uh, we see ourselves as ambassadors of, of redemption. But that's not just a work thing, it's an all of life thing. It's a mother with a newborn. It's somebody struggling with an aging parent. It's a family issue. It's a financial, stepping in when there's a financial issue. It means we see ourselves as agents, ambassadors of redemption. I will be redemptive in this situation. I will spur on to love and good deeds. And so we get in our groups, we get in our Bible studies, we meet for coffee, we go to Starbucks, we meet for breakfast or wherever uh, because we understand our role, as long as we have breath, is to help bring the power of the gospel in the fullest sense of the term to bear on each and every part of life. You will be redemptive. And you will count that a privilege. Now, I have studied the Bible for years. 
I have way more education than my small brain can handle. But you know what I know about myself? I know I'm a dope. <laughs> and I know that apart from people in my life, who have come along and spur me to love and good deeds, I would be a bigger one. A couple of weeks ago, Hannibal and I had lunch. We were catching up on ministry and um, our, our, our personal lives, and he asked me a really good question. He asked me the question, to, uh, Rob, uh, how have you done it over the decades? You've been at this a long time. He was calling me old, but I was okay. He said, you, you've stayed pure, you've stayed focused, and you've loved the church without getting burned out. H how have you done it? Now, there's lots of different uh, variables in that equation, but here's what I said to him. I said, Hannibal, it's been my friends. I would be nothing without godly people in my life who speak into my life and spur me on to love and good deeds. Let me go on. Commitment number three. You will persevere. This is the front end of verse 25. You will not give up the habit of meeting together. Other people will, but you won't. And you know people will disappoint you. Uh, the church will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. You will disappoint me. Uh, we'll all disappoint one another. Uh, but you don't give up meeting together. Uh, some will, but you don't. Now, Jesus doesn't walk away from us, so we don't walk away from each other. God's patience in our lives, God's patience in your life is one of the great miracles of your redemption. How in the world can we not be patient with one another? With the church. So we don't give up meeting together. But there's a little more to that than just showing up, as important as that is. And by the way, if you were here yesterday for this funeral, one of the great stories of the Frozy family uh, and the horror of the drowning of their 20-year-old daughter in, in Lake Michigan, one of the great stories is the way the community has come around them. And the reason the community here at Wheaton Bible Church has come around them, and the reason this has been talked about in the press and the media, is because Greg and Beth have been so deeply involved in the body of Christ here. And so when you go into a crisis, and you never know when it's coming, what sees you through that are the relationships you've been giving yourself to over the years and months leading up to that crisis. And so we don't stop meeting together, but meeting together here means you don't just show up, it also suggests you open up. In other words, you don't hide, you don't pretend, you're honest. You know, I'm not doing so well in this area. Will you pray for me? Um, what do you think? Let me give you a principle. Um, 
biblical principle, spiritual insight usually comes through community in the context of God's word. Because we need people, godly people, to interpret what we don't see. And so what that means is when you keep community at a distance, you will never really know yourself. You will never really be the best you can be before Jesus Christ. Because of the fundamental nature of community. The Bible says good friends don't stab um, you in the back, they stab you in the front. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, one of the older translations. You and I need to be stabbed in the front repeatedly because we're sinful, fallen people. We're on a, a journey uh, because we need to grow. And that will only happen if we, number one, show up, and then when we show up, we open up. We're teachable. So biblical community, easy to talk about, but it's so radical and it requires so much grace, such the presence of the Holy Spirit because biblical community welcomes wounds. Fourth, you will give grace. You'll be a person that gives grace. Uh, the word here in the last half of, of verse 25 is you will encourage. You'll encourage one another. What does the word mean? It means you'll give courage. You'll give spiritual hope, spiritual courage. So our perp the purpose of our relationships isn't to clobber people, isn't catch people doing what's wrong. Man, it's to point people to Jesus. Yes, we'll confront, but we'll love. We'll encourage will infuse their lives with hope. Those are the four commitments. Now I want to land this by talking about the key. In light of this case, in light of these commitments, um, what is the key? Well, it, it's really important that we understand that the key to community is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. We can't even manage these four commitments. The key, therefore, to community is Jesus Christ. It's taking your eyes off yourself and looking to Jesus who loved you so much that he gave up perfect community in heaven which he deserved to come to earth to be rejected and to die for you to give you community, a family you don't deserve. So the key to community is looking to Jesus and continually looking to Jesus each and every day of, uh, of our lives. Who became relationally poor that you might become relationally rich? And being so overwhelmed by what Jesus has done uh, in giving you a relationship with him that it transforms each and every single one of your relationships with others. So this morning, if you have never come to Jesus, I want to invite you to come to him. He came, 
He died. He was raised from the dead in order to begin a relationship with you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting eternal life. And so if you've never done so, believe in Jesus. Embrace him by faith as your Lord and Savior. Come to Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega of community. Beginning and the end. And if you're here and if you've already done that and you've been walking with Christ, man, I want to help you understand that you, as you take your eyes off yourself and as you look to Jesus, it transforms you and the people around you. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at what you have done for us in your Son. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see the wonder of your love for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jesus, for all that is ours in him. And now as we turn to you in worship, we ask God that you would accept our worship, that we would worship you out of a fullness of what you have done for us in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.